and welcome to another episode of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts, Lewis and Clark. This week again, we're absolutely delighted to welcome another very special guest onto the show. So Clark, what's in store for us today? Well, this week on A Wee Bit of Everything, we are delighted to welcome Dr. Murray Craig onto the show. Murray is an educational lecturer at the University of Edinburgh. Murray is on today to talk to us around the use of technology to achieve excellent teaching and learning within the Curriculum for Excellence. At a time where digital learning is at the forefront of the educational world, we cannot wait to get this one started. When researching Dr Murray Craig online, I came across a fantastic quote on his Twitter bio by Albert Hubbard, which I thought I would share with everyone. It goes, the teacher is the one who gets the most out of the lessons and the true teacher is the learner. So I thought I would leave you with that quote just before we start the session. We're both really looking forward to this one. Therefore, I think it's about time we get Murray onto the show. Right, Murray, thanks for joining a wee bit of everything. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, it's been another busy day. It's uh, Every day is a busy day at the moment, uh, working long hours. Obviously, with everything that's going on and moving to online teaching, yeah, yeah, I can imagine it's been a, ma- a massive change for for everyone, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today to share your experience and knowledge around the use of technology um, to teach physical education. So, we'll get started. Can you tell us and the listeners then a little background information on your career to date? All right. Okay. Uh... I'll give you a wee bit of everything, I think. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've done a wee bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, it's very apt with the name of the app, the name of the app, the name of the, your podcast. Mm. Um, this will probably be my longest answer okay. uh, uh, tonight. I always wanted to be a PE teacher. So, you know, I'd, when I was going through school, I never really considered anything else. I always wanted to teach PE. Um, and when I got into sixth year, I applied to go to Murray House and didn't get in, was unsuccessful, didn't have the grades. Um, but at the time, there wasn't, you know, the alternative routes that there is now where you can go through college and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I thought I thought that was it. Uh, and I, I hadn't really looked at alternatives down south at, at that point. So I went and worked for um, a family business. I became a house uh, house furniture, so it was carpet fitter and upholsterer. So I did that for about 18 months and uh, really enjoyed it and learned a lot from that. That I still uh, now drawn on my teaching, uh, some, of the, some of the lessons that I learned um, from being on the tools. But after about a year, 18 months, um, I started to look at what other opportunities were out there. So I looked down south and obviously there's a number of universities that, uh, that offer P. So I applied for, again, a number of those universities, Leeds, Sheffield, Liverpool. And I was fortunate enough to get an offer at Liverpool. That was the first offer I got and basically took it. So I went down to, it was a polytechnic at the time. I became John Moore's University uh, at the end of my, uh, my, my first year. And it was a B.Ed., uh, so a four-year B.Ed. and P. It was also with science. Uh, I like to remind people every now and again that I actually can teach science as well. Not that I could probably teach it now, to be honest, if you put me in a science classroom. You had to do a second subject down south. Yep. So we got the option of English, I think, art, which is quite a bizarre one, uh, and science. So, yeah, it, it was uh, really had to be science for me. The other two weren't an option. So, yeah, I was down there for four years. Uh, absolutely loved it. And... Um, wasn't ready to come back home at that point. So my first post was in Corby in Northamptonshire. I don't know if you're familiar with Corby. Have you ever heard of Corby? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. In the Midlands. Um, yep. So I applied for a post there and I didn't realise at the time that Corby is known as Little Scotland. Um, yeah, uh-huh. it's due to, there's a large number of Scottish workers who moved to Corby in the 40s for the steelworks. So they had a lot okay. of obviously... Uh, specialist skills or the, um, the the workforce in Scotland, so they moved down to Corby. So it's a big Scottish contingent, and that's why it's called Little Scotland. So you get your 
uh, your daily record, you could get your sliced sausage and your iron brew. <laughs> uh, <gone>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I didn't know this until, until, until I started working there. And um, so there's a lot of Scots down there, first generation, second generation, third generation. And some of the accents are, are quite interesting because I've got a wee bit of Scots in them. Um, so in the school, I kind of went down a storm with some of the folk who were uh, originally from Scotland. There was a lot of the dinner ladies who were, who were Scottish, born in Scotland. So as you can imagine, I used to do all right at dinner time, at lunchtime. <laughs> uh, I used to get a free lunch. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, like you said, there was a lot of first, second and third generation. So some of the kids that, that I was teaching, you know, their parents or their grandparents were, were originally from Scotland. So yeah, I really enjoyed my time there. I was down there It was for a couple of years and it was a city technology college. I don't know if you're familiar with them. So it's a, it's a state-funded, state all-ability school, um, but they're independent of the local authority, so they're not controlled by the local authority. Yep. And they follow the national curriculum, um, but there, there's private uh, money, private investment that's gone into these schools. And there's a big emphasis on science, um, maths, and technology. And really the philosophy is they're trying to um, uh, develop kids for moving into the workplace. So I think looking back now, that's where I really got my interest in technology uh, because I remember on my first day going into Brute West and CTC and I got handed a, a palm top, a PDA. And they were saying, oh, that's for your register. You'll take your register on that. Uh, and we had at the time, this was 95, we had like big open plan, um, it wasn't actually uh, computer rooms. There were big open plan areas in the hallways and the students, or the pupils would be encouraged to, if, we were, if I was teaching them science or teaching them PE and we set them a task, they were encouraged to go and do that task in the computers, out in these sort of computer areas. They would submit their work electronically. You know, this is back in 1995. Mm -hmm. oh. um, they, in terms of, the, we didn't have, I had this for taking a register out on the, the playing fields, but in the classrooms, all had swipe cards outside each room for swiping in. So I think, you know, subconsciously, that's where I was introduced to technology and maybe got my, my interest in it. So I was down there for a couple of years and then came back up the road, sort of 96, 97. And um, my background's rugby. Um, I, I played rugby to a reasonable level and um, that's when rugby went professional, 96, 97. Right. So I, I kind of got... Uh, an idea that I might get a contract uh, if I came back up the road. So that's why I came up and did supply for a couple of, a couple of months at George Watson's College in Edinburgh. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with George Watson's. And then I was fortunate enough to get a contract. So I uh, signed for Edinburgh. I played with Edinburgh for a, for a year. Well, I didn't play because I was injured most of the time. But uh, it was always my intention to go back to teaching, uh, PE teaching. So at the end of that year, I went back and did a bit more work at, at George Watson's, just supply. And then I got an opportunity to go down to Exeter, play rugby down there um, for six months. But by this point, I was sort of about 28. So I didn't go to university until I was a bit later, until I was 21. And uh, when I signed for Exeter, I said, as part of the contract, I want to teach. I want you to give me a couple of afternoons a week in a school because ultimately that's what I'm going to be doing, you know. Uh, this will probably be the last time, the last contract I'll sign. So I actually worked in a, a, a school down um, towards Plymouth in a place called Ivybridge, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, and then eventually I came back up the road after that and I got, I was fortunate enough to be offered a, a job at George Watson's College, where I'd been doing supply. And I was there for about eight years in the P department and loved it. And still, you know, got a lot of close friends in the department there. Um, and it was a job for life. Yep. If I didn't leave when I left, I'd still be there now. Um, mm. In the school, teaching PE or, you know, doing something else in the school. But I like a challenge. I get kind of bored, you know, doing the same thing. Uh, and I got an opportunity. Or there was a, a job came up at Telford College, which is now Edinburgh College. Yeah. And it was to it was a lecturing post in the sports coaching uh, and development HND. And yeah, that was a course. You, that was a course I done. Yeah, uh, that yeah, was the same one. Yeah, yeah. As well, in Glasgow. 
Right, yeah. Um, so basically I went to, to, to Telford, which then became Edinburgh College, and taught on that HND. And again, really, really enjoyed that. Did that for about five, six years. But also wanted to study. Towards uh, the, the end of the time at George Watson's, I wanted to do some more study. And I'd looked into doing a master's um, in sports psychology, applied sports psychology. So with a new post at Telford, basically enrolled in, in a master's. I was doing a lot of coaching, rugby coaching at the time, uh, sort of age grade stuff, as well as my t uh, teaching and then lecturing. And I saw this, the, the master's in sports psychology as a way of improving my teaching and improving my coaching. So I did that um, when I was at, at Telford and also got the opportunity, I don't know the college, the college that you went to, we had a link up with Edinburgh Napier at uh, Telford College, where we taught the BSc, Applied Sports Science. We taught the third year of that. So our students could do the HND and then go on and do the uh, Applied Sports Science, the third year of that at Edinburgh College. That's good. That's good. Yeah. So I got an opportunity to, to de deliver that, um, the third year, and really, really enjoyed that. Um, and then an opportunity came up at Murray House. So I'd been at Telford College for about six years, and it was a secondment opportunity at Murray House. Uh, so it was just for a year. So I applied for that. Uh, and again, the intention was to go back to uh, Edinburgh College at the end of the year. But a post came up at Murray House, um, which I applied for and was fortunate enough to get. Uh, and I've been there for, what well, was about, you know, I think this is my 10th year. And part of that, part of the, the job um, or the post that I applied for at the end of that secondment, it included a doctorate. So that was kind of written in um, and they paid for uh, for a doctorate. And that was something I was thinking of doing as well because I really enjoyed the masters and I, I, I was looking into uh, sort of doctoral programs at that point. So it, I was very fortunate. Um, uh -huh. What was that on then? What was your doctorate on? Is that on technology as well within education? Yeah, yeah it was an educational doctorate and you can pretty much do it on whatever you want. Uh, but I had a real interest and still do have an interest in, in the use of digital technology in PE. Uh, and again, I think that comes from, I think, you know, looking back, um, was my, my first post at the City Technology College. I also, as I said, I did uh, coaching in the age grade, uh, the age grade programme, Scottish rugby, so district rugby, and then I was involved in uh, the national under 18s. I did a lot of video analysis work. Um, I did that for about seven or eight years alongside uh, you know, my teaching and lecturing. So it was just on a voluntary basis. Um, so yeah, there's always been that kind of involvement uh, with technology. I've been sort of using technology to some ex extent in my teaching or uh, my coaching. So you still so, yeah, doing... That's where I am now. Are you still doing anything else then on the side, over and above your job? Any coaching? Uh, no, I mean, I've got three kids. Uh, I've got two boys and a girl, uh, and I've been involved in, ter in terms of coaching them at uh, mini rugby, but that's enough now. I've had enough of that. I think uh, I think they've had enough and I've had enough. <laughs> so <laughs> nothing, nothing at the moment, but I, 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 uh, I enjoy it and I miss it, and I'm sure I will get back into it. Yeah, I'm sure um, you will. So when you're speaking about six year at school then, and that was kind of the time when you had to make your choices about your future, what was your own memories then at PE at school? Uh, like you two, uh, you know, I love PE. Yeah. Um, but at that time, we didn't have certificated PE, it was just coming in. Uh, it came in, I think, when I was in six year. So I kind of missed out on the opportunity to do that. So it was always just you know, core PE I did. I had a great relationship with um, the PE staff at the school, as, as you guys probably did as well. Yeah. Played a lot of sport out with school. Um, yeah, it was so the best yeah, part of the day, wasn't it? Yeah, so it was just kind of natural. And like I said, I'd always wanted to do it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's quite, there's a, there's a certain irony, you know, that I didn't get into Murray House um, when I left school, but I'm there now, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And, uh, and I've got the roles that I have, which is, yeah, it's, I, I tell the students that occasionally, you know, that I was, a, I was one of the ones that didn't get in. Um, there's, al there's always a way though, isn't there, at the end of the day? Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, some again, of the pupils struggle to realise though just now, but. And I think what I've uh, what I realised from going to and uh, working in further education, Edinburgh College, there's there's alternative routes, as you guys are comfortable, and I think they're really really good routes, uh, and I think they prepare. Um, it's a good route for preparing people to enter enter the profession. And we have because we run a we run a postgrad program at Edinburgh as well, and every year we have a number of students who come through the college route. Uh, and they're they're always really really strong students. Um, yeah, I think for me, like leaving, I left school after fourth year and went straight to college straight away and done an NQ then HND. I think it allowed me to develop my, my coaching skills as well. Like in football, I've done a lot of football coaching, so I had a lot of experience with active schools as well, yeah. rather than just leaving after six year and then only focusing on the the PE teaching course. So you you kind of get a broad range of experiences first um, before going into it. So did you go from, you left in fourth year and then went straight to college? Aye, I went to college at 15, yeah, and then... And to do um, was that, to do that, the, the, an HNC straight away? Uh, sorry, the NQ, national qualification first, and right. then a two-year HND. So some yeah. of my friends stayed on at six year, so we ended up on probation year at the same time. Right. But it just meant that I, I took six years, they took four. Um, ah. But I think it allowed me to get more a broad range of experience through different sports as well throughout the two years and when they were at school i just i knew i knew what i wanted to do so i just left school and managed to get a place at college but i was a christmas leaver so i had to have something set up before i could leave yeah. um and i managed to i didn't get into my old college and then i got into uh, the city of glasgow college which was a uh, glasgow metropolitan metropolitan i think it was at that time so i uh, well, moving on then. So, as a lecturer in physical education at the University of Edinburgh, uh, Murray, why do, why do you believe PE then has such an important role to play in their social and emotional development of our young people? Okay. Uh, I mean, PE is a great vehicle for developing, uh, you know, the social and emotional aspects through you know, the, the nature of the activities that we do and not just the activities, but the teaching approaches uh, that we use. So, you know, you can develop communication skills through things like peer teaching um, or, you know, leadership skills, taking on roles and responsibilities through things like sport ed, models that you'd be familiar with. Yep. And I think the nature of the subject, you know, uh, and a lot, of, a lot of the stuff that we do, competition's inherent. In a lot of activities, so that provides a great opportunity to develop, you know, emotional skills, coping skills. Um, but although I think P is a great vehicle, um, I think it's important that it's not just the social and emotional. I think there needs to be not an emphasis on those areas. I think it's important that we develop the kids or the pupils, the young uh, young people, uh, holistically. You know, so obviously the physical. Mm -hmm. as well as the social, emotional, and the cognitive. But I don't think that's, the, although I think P is a great vehicle for doing it, I don't think that P should be doing it on their own. And they shouldn't be expected to be the subject that develops these, uh, these domains, these aspects. I think it's the responsibility of all subject areas. Because, you know, I think uh, your drama teacher would also argue, listen, drama is the best subject for developing social skills developing emotional skills when they, you know, they're presenting, uh, when they're putting on a performance. I think even things like your English teacher, you know, your English teachers, they've got an argument for saying, well, you know, we, we can develop social skills if we're getting someone to stand up and, and read out and present. So although I think P is really good at developing some social skills and some um, emotional skills, yeah, we don't need to do it on our own. It's the responsibility of all subject area. And I think every subject area could, can develop and should be developing uh, pupils holistically. And yeah. I say physical as well. Things like drama, there's a big physical element to that. Things like food technologies, there's a physical aspect to that. You know, you're looking at um, um, sort of very fine motor skills, you know, something yeah. like food technology. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. Uh, in terms of things like um, emotional, uh, in terms of coping skills, you think it's even something like food technology. You're under pressure when you're, when you're, you're, you're cooking a dish, aren't you? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, True wage stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, we often say about the uh, pay placing an emphasis at the moment in terms of developing pupils holistically. I think that should be an ambition for all subject areas, if it's not already. Um, and I think it's 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 all subject areas that should be contributing towards that. Um, yeah, can can't, I, can't argue with that. Sense, no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can't argue with that. That's a, a good point you've made, and I suppose it's then just a, the school's job to then come up with consistent approach, a consistent strategy that every subject area can then teach the pupils on how to cope with failure or adversity, um, yeah. be consistent with it, have a consistent message. Because we were also going to look like that was something we were looking at prior to going back after. Um, the whole lockdown situation after the summer and I was looking at an IDL project where we were going to like show the emphasis of health and we health and well-being sorry throughout the lockdown process and try and get all the other because we weren't going to be allowed to do PE initially so we were trying to come up with other kind of alternatives and how health and well-being has been brought to the forefront during the lockdown period and getting all the the other departments in the school involved in it to show as well to help show that it's not just the responsibility of PE that everybody else can chip in with us. And I think it was going to, we're looking at going kind of down the route of like the NHS and how the kind of job that they do and how if we look after our, <clears throat> our health and well-being, that can take sort of the burden off of them and then you can get all the other kind of departments. It was like just a kind of whole collaborative project to work out the kind of impact on the economy as well as the NHS and all that sort of stuff and getting all subjects involved. Um, certainly from like S1 to S3 because we weren't able to do PE initially so it was trying to find an alternative so that they could all link together and it was think- it was also thinking about the whole logistics of the the school the-, the pupils moving from class to class as well because initially I think it was going to be all the pupils stayed in the one class and then the teachers would move around and so that we could all be working on this same project um, maybe just for the first term or whatever as opposed to um, all the pupils just going about their business as normal. So that was um, something that was kind of highlighted as well, which I thought was quite interesting. Great, a great project. Mm-hmm. But it never came to anything. We never done it because we were actually allowed to do it. So I um, allowed to do PE. But I thought it was good. I, before. I, there was loads of ideas that were coming up and it was um, good to do a wee bit of brainstorming and the, yeah. amount, of, the amount of ideas that were getting put on the table to try and to, to overcome it. And I guess it just kind of showed how important health and wellbeing was for Every teacher, not just PE, like you said. Yeah, yeah. Like you say, it's a, it's a responsibility of all. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I think it, every subject area can contribute. Yeah, um, definitely. I, I think it's something I still like to do, actually, Lewis, because it was looking at maths and working out budgets and how much it's costing the NHS because of the cardiovascular disease and uh, all the other diseases. It was, prevent, it was much. preventable diseases. And how much that how much it costs the NHS and the the impact it has on the economy. But I it's quite it was quite interesting to to look at it. But um, I again just need to leave that for another day. <laughs> we can actually get your subject. <laughs> we'll get it one day. Yeah. Right. So um Murray, could you tell us a wee bit more in detail about your research in the area of digital learning and the impact this can have on the learning experiences for the young people? Yeah. Um so my, my doctorate was all about, um, it was focused on digital technology. And I knew I wanted to do something on digital technology, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then uh, there was, uh, there's a guy, um, Neil Selwyn, Professor Neil Selwyn, um, who works at Monash University in Australia, in the School of Education, writes a lot about uh, digital education. And it comes from a, it comes at it from a particular angle. He's quite he's quite critical, but he's critical because he wants technology to be used more effectively. Yeah. Um, so I read it was one of his books that I read, and then that set me off. And I started reading basically all the stuff, a lot of stuff that he's uh, that he's written. And there was a there was a phrase that kept coming up um, in his texts. And that was really the trigger for what I wanted to do. So he says, um, he kept saying, there's a lack of research that looks at the messy realities of educational technology use in schools. And he kept saying that. And what he was saying is, what we need to do is we need to look at and try and unpick and find out what these messy realities are. And we need to actually 
look at the bigger picture of what's happening in schools. Because there's all the research, a lot of the research that's been conducted in technology focuses on particular pieces of hardware or particular apps or platforms. Yeah? So he mm. says it's really narrow. It focuses in on, uh, say, a particular app like Coach's Eye. Yeah? I, mean, I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. So yeah. It looks like it'll focus in on Coach's Eye and then it'll look at, right, what impact does that have on a particular learning teaching variable? So it'll look at something like um, pupil motivation or engagement. Yeah? So they would, they would um, do a little intervention study where they would get the, the pupils to use Coach's Eye and then they would measure the, the impact that it had on the, the motivation levels. So he's saying, well, that's fine. A lot of research has done that, but it's too narrow. And it's proven that it works. That's fine. What we need to do is look at the bigger picture here. What's impacting on teachers? How? Um, so he didn't go into too much detail in terms of what you should look at. He leaves it quite open. So I said, right, that's what I want to do. I don't want to focus on... on the actual technology they're using. What I want to do is study teachers that use technology, are very competent using it, but what I want to look at is how they've become competent at, mm. what kind of process have they gone through? What, what have they done that allows them to be very confident and proficient using it? Also, what do they do that allows them to keep using it? Because a lot of teachers use technology once or twice, or they'll use it for a period of time and then they ditch it. Mm -hmm. So how how are they? What do they do that allows them to you to uh, to use it over the long term? Because that's where I think you'll get the benefits from. You don't get the benefits from it using it just once or twice, yeah. Yeah. As a gimmick, it's a sustained use of it. So that's what I wanted to to find out. These kind of wider habits and practices and behaviours that teachers, MP, who were recognised as being highly competent and used it regularly. What did they do? So that's what I set out to do in my study. Um, I got, uh, there was nine teachers across Scotland, uh, PE teachers, age of ranges, age of, uh, range of experience. Um, you know, some were early career teachers. I think uh, I had a probationer in there as well. And there was um, a couple of the participants, teachers were, uh, heads of department, uh, head of faculty. So yeah, quite a, a representative sample. Um, basically, I'd, I'd gone along to a lot of conferences like SAPE and a lot of workshops that Education Scotland had put on over the years, and there was always stuff, you know, sessions on um, technology. So I basically remembered those sessions I'd gone to, and I approached the folk that had delivered those sessions, uh, and asked them if they wanted to get involved in the study, and. I think I approached 10 folk and nine out of 10 jumped at the chance uh, and were really keen to be involved. So yeah, that's, that's how my study came about um, and that's who it involved. Don't know if you want me to talk about no. the what findings. Were, aye, so what, was the, aye, what, was, what were your kind of findings? That was going to be my kind of follow-up question. The, I developed a framework kind of conceptual framework or a theoretical framework um, from the ground up. So I wasn't applying a theory here. I was yeah. basically wanting to develop a theory mm -hmm. from scratch. So a big, a big central concept was this idea of weighted investment. Now, what I mean by weighted investment, it became very apparent that the teachers spent a lot of time using technology. Uh -huh. They spent a lot of time on technology, more time on technology than they did other aspects of their the job, uh -huh. yeah, um, but it was also a, a term that weighted investment because it, it was weighted towards technology. But part of that was because of their own personal motivation. Right, it, they, they just really enjoyed using technology. They got a lot of reward from it. They really valued it. Uh, they believed in it because they'd actually used it and seen the impact that it had. They observed the impact that it had in the lessons. Uh, in terms of learning, motivation, and so on. They also seen it as, some of them seen it as a way of advancing their career. You know, mm -hmm. they, they actually quite like the status of being the, 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 the tech person in the department in the school, in a good way, not in a bad way. And uh, they seen it as a professional duty and responsibility. You know, they wanted the subject to remain relevant for the, for the pupils. 
Mm -hmm. And they saw technology as a way of doing that. So these were all the, the reasons they gave for justifying why they spent so much time doing all these habits and um, behaviours that I'll talk about in a minute. Mm -hmm. But also identified there was a, a lot of other reasons that were forcing them to spend lots of time <clears throat> with technology. There was a lot of things, and I, I called them in my study, the, the, the underlying or hidden factors. Yeah. Um, so in the schools... The, the, the senior management maybe weren't that knowledgeable about technology, yeah, so couldn't really provide the support. Uh, so the teachers had to support themselves, if you like. Uh, there was a lack of real sort of strategic overview in the school for what they wanted to do with technology and where they wanted to go with it, when it should be used, what type of technology should be used. So they didn't have that that was guiding them. So the teachers had to make all these decisions themselves, these PE teachers. Um, they were making the big decisions about what technology they should use uh, and buy and so on. In the schools, there was an emphasis on procurement, buying technology. So schools were, were good at buying the technology, but they kind of rushed into it. So they didn't really give it much thought. They just thought, we need to get technology. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so they were going out and often buying the wrong type of technology, technology that wasn't fit for purpose. Yeah, uh, I've seen in Glasgow City Council that they're now an iPad city, Apple City, sorry. So they've yeah. all got, every, every pupil's got an iPad as of this session, yeah. which is yeah. amazing, there's, isn't it? There's a lot of schools doing that that one-to-one that, that -one scheme, um, and a, a number of the participants, that's, uh, they, they had that scheme running at their school. Um, but again, it's some, some interesting stories coming out from the, the schools that did that. You know, they, they, they rushed into it. So they bought, they got the, the technology, got the iPads, but the, as I said, there was an emphasis on buying it. They maybe didn't have the technical support to support mm -hmm. the teachers. So they bought the technology, but they didn't have the, the, the technical support in terms of staff. Yeah. So you didn't have your IT guys in the school. And that's important for when the technology doesn't work. Seems like yeah. such a massive transition doing something like that as well. Like it's something yeah. that you think that you would need to put a lot of thought into, especially if you're going all out and making like a full, a full authority or a full school, even like an Apple school or whatever. Yeah, I think I think there are now. I think they're becoming better at it, and I think they're learning from the schools that have gone through that and made the mistakes. Mm -hmm. uh, so do you, of, so do you think? For, sorry, no. sorry, sorry, Murray. Do you think then, like because of lockdown, then obviously digital learning is now at the forefront. Do you think that teachers have just been forced to kind of work out the solutions to some of the problems as well? Yeah, I think that's always been the case, but. In terms of prior to lockdown, a lot of teachers didn't need to engage with technology. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that choice was still there. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And that, again, that's stories that have come out from my study in, in, in the schools that are a one-to-one. -one. The, the PE teacher was saying, well, some subject areas just don't engage with it. He was, he, he was the, the formal digital champion in the school. And uh, he said, you know, just I really struggled to get some teachers to use it. Uh, I just I can't get them to use it. Now that, you know that was a one-to-one -one school, but there's there was lack of things like professional learning. So they would buy the technology, but they wouldn't put the necessary professional development sessions on to upskill the teachers. Mm -hmm. There wasn't the I, I don't know what your schools are like. There wasn't the physical infrastructure like Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. So you had the technology like iPads, tablet, uh, PCs, but the Wi-Fi was really really poor. Yeah, it's the same in my school. I don't think the people. I don't think the pupils can access it. It's only the teachers. Yeah. So that that's crucial to being able to use the technology effectively. There wasn't the organisational infrastructure like how do you download the apps that you want on your iPad. A lot of the teachers were saying, "Well, it's a real kind of long, drawn out, convoluted process. It's very difficult to do." Uh, but they were all very good at finding ways around. Uh, you know, unofficial ways of, um, like you say, downloading the technology that they wanted. They all became good uh, technicians themselves. So that's what I mean by them having to invest a lot of time. They were taking on the role of a, a technician. It wasn't their role, they were a PE teacher, but they were taking on the role of a technician for the department and other colleagues when they encountered issues. So that was compounding the amount of time they were spending on the technology. Um, or dedicating towards technology, but they didn't mind. Yeah. And it was interesting because the teachers never considered 
they told me all the things that they did. So they, they talked about going on professional learning, going to professional learning events, um, workshops, doing it online as well, signing up for stuff. They all, they all a lot of them led professional learning, did workshops themselves in-house and some of them nationally. They were all involved in special interest groups in their schools. These are all formal things that got recognised and they could put down on their, you know, for their annual review. Yeah, they are things that were quite visible and they, they would get recognition for, but they'd done a lot of things like technical duties that they didn't get recognised for. They were, they were often uh, hidden. A lot of folk didn't see them taking the iPads home at night to upload new software or to refresh them or to get rid of all the videos and the, the photos. So they were doing all this stuff that allowed them to keep using the technology and folk in the department. Um, they did a lot of just rudimentary searching online for new apps. You know, they were constantly looking for uh, new technologies to use that they could bring into their lessons. They loved, they talked about, I just love speaking to people about tech online through social media or colleagues, colleagues, um, not just PE colleague, colleague, colleagues in other departments. So a lot of these things they did, and I classed them as informal because they were things that they didn't get formal recognition for, and yeah, but they spent a lot of time doing. Hmm. And it was these informal things that really, the teachers really, really valued. They said, these are the really important things. These are the things that allow me to become proficient and competent with technology, and they allow me to keep using it. So yeah. they really valued it. They, 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 they valued probably the more, the more informal behaviors and habits and practices over the formal ones. Yeah, it's all, it's all um, the informal things that you don't see that are more important, isn't it? Yeah. Like the wee yeah. things that make the big difference. Yeah. But, but unfortunately, because of things like the manager's lack of it, the senior manager's lack of expertise, lack of overall strategic overview for how should technology, technology should be used in the school, and this emphasis on buying it, not putting in the infrastructure, that was meaning they were having to spend more time than they should have. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, finding ways to get around and overcome these issues. Uh, Did you find it was like more like younger teachers that were more inclined to use technology or was it much of a muchness in terms of the age? Was there much of a difference between that? No, as I said, there was a real uh, age range. You had a, a couple of members of staff who, a couple of, sorry, teachers that were be a similar age to myself. Um, yeah. So no, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't find that, but like I said, I purposefully went out and when I was recruiting, my participants, I was recruiting folk that, mm -hmm. like you say, I, I had seen, I'd, I'd sat in on uh, their workshop sessions. So, yeah, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Do you think that. time in the job is like a barrier then to, to some people because they're just so, like they've got their way of teaching and like it's, it seems just like such a, a big change to make to start using and learning all these technologies. Do you think that's a, a barrier at all? <laughs> yeah, uh, and that's one of the, the things I've said one of the, the implications or findings is, you know, if teachers are, are going to start using technology, they need to understand that if they want to use it effectively, they need to be prepared to put a bit of time in. It's mm -hmm. going to take them time. You can actually you put technology into your, uh, into your teaching very, very easily, but is it going to be effective? Yeah? Mm -hmm. In order to use it effectively, I would argue that that takes a bit of time. Um, in terms of one of the, another finding uh, I came up with is something called the 4P process. And this was a process that the teachers seemed to all go through. Now, they didn't talk about this, the 4P process, but just looking at the, the interview data, they all seemed to do the same thing when they found a bit of technology and then they went through the same process for integrating it into their, their lessons. So they pinpointed, so to pinpoint for the first P, uh, in terms of they found out new technologies through going to formal workshops, uh, their involvement in working groups, but again, just doing a lot of searches on their own. That's what they found really valuable and speaking to other people or going through social media. Mm -hmm. And that's how that, they, they were saying that was the best way of really finding these, these technologies. So pinpointing was the first thing. Then when they found, when they found something that they thought might work, they played around with it. That was the second P. And they all used that language. They all said, I just played with it. I just played with that. 
at night or you know in a free period a lot of the apps are pretty user friendly aren't they like they're not yeah. too difficult to to learn how to use yeah but they said they, 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 there were some great stories about they, they said one of them said oh, i tried i tried it out with my partner at night um you know i was just in the living room and uh, another one talked about uh, trying it out with colleagues you know at, at lunchtime but they all described it as playing and they said it was really important for finding out all the features what are all the different features in an app um, and it was important for their own confidence in using it so they did that in a, a setting that was kind of low risk and then the next p was they piloted it so they piloted it with a class so they would identify a class a particular class <coughs> And then they would try it out in that more formal setting. And one of the teachers talked about Google Classroom, which you'll be familiar with. Uh, and the teacher said, I played around with it and I knew there was something in it. I knew it was going to work with my national qualification class. But he says, I needed to try it. I needed to actually get it in, the, use it with the, the, the pupils and then find out a bit more because they would, I would learn from them. They'd find out things that I wasn't able to find. Um, so he says that was important just actually getting it in there making mistakes and learning about it but he said i had to be careful in terms of what class i used it with so they piloted it in more formal settings to find out more about it and get an idea of whether it would work and then often that took several cycles of piloting so they tried yeah. it maybe with different groups or over a number of lessons then the last p was putting it into practice so once they'd done that and they thought no this works I'm going to actually embed that and establish it in my practice. Mm -hmm. And what they did, they talked about, uh, I've got a little acronym, TEC, T-E-C. When they put it into the practice, they taught them how to use it first. So they were aware that pupils use technology in everyday life, but they maybe don't necessarily use it for teaching purposes. So mm -hmm. they're all good at taking selfies, yeah, and taking TikTok movies, yeah, but... In terms of using the technology for learning and teaching, they maybe don't have those skills. Yeah. So, so the first bit is actually teaching them how to use it for teaching. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is um, establishing boundaries. Because you, you'll know what do the pupils want to do when you give them a, an iPad. They want to take selfies themselves and silly videos. <laughs> uh, so he says you've got to establish your boundaries. What are you using the tech? Why is the technology there? What are you using it for? And what are you not using it for? And they're saying you have to work through that. You have to let them take the, the, the silly pictures and videos and let them get out of the system. And that might take, you know, a number of weeks. And then the last one is C, create, uh, create the right ethos. So the idea that this is going to be helpful and this is going to support your learning. This is going to make you better. This is going to improve you. Uh, and that takes a bit of time. And by continually using it, they'll realize this is actually helpful. This is benefiting my learning. So that was when they put it into practice, it was these sort of three things. Teach how to use it, establish the boundaries and create the right ethos that are important in order to realise the potential of it and really get the benefit. I think though, um, that's two nice easy kind of wee frameworks to get started. That kind of leads um, nicely onto my next question then, Murray, about what steps PE teachers can take to improve their use of technology um, in the classroom, but kind of like what you said about pinpointing, uh, playing around with it, the pilot and putting it into practice, that kind of answers that question. But is there anything else that you think that, that teachers could do to kind of introduce and get used to using technology as a kind of everyday part of their practice? Um, again, my, my idea is that you, you can easily show teachers uh, examples of how you use it. But I think something like a process is going to be more advantageous because you can apply that to any type of technology, mm -hmm. whether it's an app, a platform, or the actual hardware. <coughs> so that's why I think things like processes are, are more helpful rather than just always showing them best practice mm -hmm. um, all the time. Because I, I, I do sessions with our students uh, on an annual basis, and it's a, it's, a, it's a best practice session where I show them all different types of technology. But... I've been doing that session for a number of years, so I'm quite comfortable and quite confident doing it. Yeah. I don't know the schools that they're going to be going out to. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they've got the technology. I don't know the actual students, their confidence and competence using it. Yeah. So what I'm showing them, some of them just might not be able to do it. Yeah. 
so I think best practice is good, but it's limited. I think things like if there's processes that can be applied to anywhere, to anywhere that, that's arguably going to be more beneficial. I think that's a, a great bit of advice. I, I really like that one about the, the four Ps. And it doesn't, that doesn't always just necessarily refer to technology. That can be like trying out something like Sport Ed for the first time or TGFU, piloting it with a class, seeing how it works. And then if you like it, you've tweaked it and you've uh, kind of found a way that it works for you, then putting that into your practice and trying it with different classes. I really, really like that bit of advice and that process that you can go through. Well, that, that's, that was one of the points I made at the end of my study. And I'm saying, well, this is applicable to technology but is it actually applicable to you know a new piece of equipment that you mm-hmm. get in if it's not necessarily technology technology yeah is that the same process you would go through mm-hmm. i don't know arguably it would be wouldn't it Aye. it was like um clark, clark was going through the the play around bit at the start of this he was showing me his new tiktoks <laughs> <laughs> i'm not supposed to say it i was just i was just for you oh was it uh, do you guys sweet. use technology? Do you guys use technology yourselves? I think I think technology is get huge huge benefits. in the school I'm in, my national class, they're all in Google Classroom, and it speeds up the learning. It speeds up the communication. You know, you can keep in touch with them at home as well, and use it in the class. You get their phones out. The only difficult thing for me is trying to manage whether they're actually taking part in meaningful tasks when they're on their phones in the class. Um, so that's. There's Chromebooks there as well that they, they do their portfolio on, uh, and they can go into Google Classroom and save it to Google Drive, and then they can go back in and access it to edit it. But it's just trying to ensure that they're on task and, and they're not on Snapchat. And that's where the that's my point about establishing boundaries, creating the right ethos, and yep. it takes a bit of time. That's not something you do in in one lesson in five minutes at the start of a lesson. And that's again what the teachers were saying. One of them talked about OneNote how they'd use OneNote for the national qualifications. And they said, I spent probably a couple of weeks getting them used to the OneNote platform and being able to navigate their way around and know where everything, all the, the resources and materials were. Um, so he said, it was time well spent. They said, I actually had to spend a couple of weeks doing that with them in the classroom sessions. Yeah. And that was, again, just uh, teaching them how to use it. So. It, it's not just five minutes at the start of the lesson. It can be take a bit of time. Yeah, as you said, I think everything's moved online. So it's establishing the same behaviour management uh, expectations online as, as, as you would in the class mm. and just sharing that with them. Yeah, I think... What would, uh, you, what would you lose? I, I've just... More so since um, we've went into the, lo- the lockdown over the summer, I've kind of it's encouraged me a lot more to get get to grips with different technologies. I've learned like competent, you say, kind of Microsoft Teams as well, because that's what our council uses as opposed to Google Classroom. But even like, not even just within like BGE classes, but more so now with my national class and especially during lockdown, just trying to find ways in which you can make like the online learning, like in PowerPoints and what was the other one I was using? And it just made the, the presentation Prezi it was called Prezi that was the name of it and it was just how how it can make it just look that little bit more interactive you can have like your voiceovers on top of it and stuff and even using the podcast as a learning tool as well just thinking of different ways to to um, make it that wee bit more engagement and Mm. to to benefit the the pupils that we've got and we we even did a couple of wee um, mini lessons on YouTube as well during lockdown we're just messing about with the camera and trying to try to think of different ways but it's certainly encouraged us a lot to to implement technology a lot more within our within our teaching, and I've used like the iPads and stuff at the school for sort of video analysis stuff, and um, but that was kind of as far as it went. But since lockdown, I've, yeah. I've used a lot more. I think it's great in terms of I'm I'm, I'm thinking at the university and a lot of the my colleagues at teaching the, the 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 PE program. A lot of them have been forced to use technology mm-hmm. as we've moved yeah. online, and when we come out of this. I think it's going to be great. They're going to have developed these skills in a really short period of time. They've been forced yeah. to do it. And they've Definitely. been reluctant to do it up until now. Call it a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. I was speaking to, who was your student that was at your school again? Jay, was it, Lewis? Yeah, Jay. He says a lot of your BGE classes, BGE classes use their phone. Is it another kit? Yeah, yeah. They're doing a, they're doing a task, of course. <laughs> Well, fin- uh, finally, just moving on to the last question then, Murray, in your opinion, uh, what makes a high-quality teacher, just kind of on a general kind of 
moving away from the technology, what makes a high quality teacher? Um, I think the, the, I'd have to say the, the, the standards for uh, registration. So the standards for full registration, they talk about professional values, knowledge and skills. So I dare say you can say what makes a high quality teacher, excellent professional values, excellent professional knowledge, excellent professional skills. But that's still a bit vague. Um, I would say it's someone that wants to learn. I think that's a high quality teacher, someone, a teacher that wants to keep learning, that wants to become better. Yeah, but to me, it's not just about, and this is something that, that, that I really enjoy, uh, is when you learn something, is actually applying it. So how, is that, how are you going to apply that in your practice? So that, to me, that's important. It's not just about learning. It's about actually taking that learning and uh, applying it within your practice. How is yeah, that that's, some, that's something you always say in the podcast when we learn from different guests that we go away and apply it and then talk right. to each other about it. Yeah. It's, it's no good knowing something unless, as you say, you're testing it in your practice straight away. Yeah. So uh, someone that wants to learn, to me, I think is an attribute of a high-quality teacher. Someone that wants to just improve and get better yeah, than what they're doing. Uh, and a big, the last one for me is someone who takes pride in their work. I think it's important uh, that, yeah, not just all, yeah, like not, that. Just, not just teachers, but I think uh, it's important that you take a pride in what you're doing. Yeah, I yeah. think that's, that then you'll, you'll make sure it's excellent high and high quality. So is that three? Continue learning and apply that learning. Look to improve and, again, take a pride in, in what you're doing. Mm. I think that um, aye, that that rounds us off very nicely then for the, the main part of the, the podcast, Murray. So with all our guests, we do a wee quick fire round of three questions. So it's just three quick questions. Um, just a wee bit of fun at the end of the podcast. So question number one, if you could have a giant billboard in your hometown, what would it say on it or anywhere in the world? All right, okay. If it was back in Corby. <laughs> <laughs> back in Corby, yes. Uh, if it was in my hometown, I'd put still here. Still here. Probably. So I was born I was born in my hometown. Although I've been away, I'm now back, I would say still here. Or I'd maybe use that as an opportunity for some free uh free advertising for my dad's business, maybe. Oh, well. <laughs> that's, that's, that's certainly a different spin on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Brilliant, love it. Right, number two then. What book or books have had the greatest influence on your life? Um, all right, okay. And it doesn't even need to be educational. In, term, uh, in terms of educational, the... The chap that I talked about earlier, Neil Selwyn, um, his book, Education and Technology, Key Issues and Debates, that was the starting point for me um, and my, my doctorate. So that, that was quite important, um, probably from an academic viewpoint. Um, and it's, uh, his, uh, I like his writing because it's really kind of uh, accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's fairly easy to to read um so yeah from an academic point of view yeah i, w- I would say neil selwyn a lot of his work um and that's just because it's in my area of interest but I, I do a lot of reading i mean i think i've got my, my old english teacher probably to to thank for that uh mrs lumsden her, her daughter subsequently became a pe teacher oh brilliant uh she's used my old english teacher at knox academy and I've probably got her to thank for, because I enjoy, I enjoy reading, I enjoy reading a lot of the classics. Um, and what I like about reading, and things like not just academic books, but fiction, is that what you can learn from them, and you can use some of those examples to bring your uh, teaching to life, so your lectures to life, or your seminar. So, um, I don't know if you've read To Kill a Mockingbird, Harper Lee. Heard of it, I've never read it. Yeah, well, I read that at school when I, I was think, doing I think English. I, I, read, uh, I think I read yeah. that at school as well. Um, with, with Mrs. Lumsden, so that was one of the books. And I read it to my uh, 
my middle child a couple of years ago. And there's a bit in the book, there's two characters in the book, Scout and Jem, who are the two kids in the book, the brother and sister. And the, um, they're talking about, in the book, they're talking about the, the teacher, um, the primary teacher. And there's a little passage where it talks about the teacher being, she's a young teacher, and she uses all these newfangled teaching methods. And they, they talk about, uh, I can't remember the passage, but it talks about milking a cow because it's set out in the country. And this teacher's saying, well, if you want to learn how to milk a cow, you don't learn about milking a cow in the classroom. You actually learn about milking a cow by doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she's, and I mean, this book, I don't know when To Kill a Mockingbird was set, 1930s, is it? Something like that. So here's this teacher who's employing sort of, active learning, experiential learning, that's what she's promoting. And a lot of the teachers didn't like that in the book. They're saying, oh, no, that's not teaching. So mm -hmm. I just like that idea. You know, there, there, there's something you can take from a book and use that passage yeah. as an anecdote uh, to make a point. So I get a lot of stuff from when I read, there's wee things that I, oh, I'll use that, I'll draw that in a lecture. So I, like, I read a lot of fiction, a lot of factual stuff, biographies, uh, sporting biographies, I love music biographies really into my music and maybe see all my CDs in the background there. Yeah, I was interested oh, in CDs. I thought that was the books. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm a bit old school. So I love uh, I love music biographies from... There's uh, nothing wrong with that. No, my era growing up, so uh, sort of the 90s. Uh, I'm into leading a lot of the, these folk who've grown up now and written biographies. Uh, I really like that. And there's a lot of learning you can do from that. That again, you can um, apply to my, my teaching in PE. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Well, I quite so, like that idea I'm not, of kind not of really giving you any books. I've not really given you a book, have I? <laughs> no, it's fine. It seems like you've uh, done done a fair whack of reading. It must be hard just to choose to single out one. So I know you gave us a, a well-rounded answer there anyway. So I quite like how Murray talks about applying a broad range of themes and subject areas and apply brings it back into teaching. Yeah. I've never heard that. I like factual, <coughs> sorry, fiction books having... The one that always sticks to you, so similar to the one you're talking about, about milking a cow, the one that you always used to say, Clark, was about you don't get better at running around it. Eh, you don't get better at playing the piano by running around it. Yeah, it was like Jose Menino said it because uh, he always uses the football in his, in his warm-ups. He always has a ball present when he does training, uh, whereas a lot of old-school coaches would just do running further or do a full session of running, but you don't get better at football by just running. So he yeah. used the one to get better at a piano, you sit down and play it, you don't just run around it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. so it's very similar to your one there as well. Yeah. Right, so final one on the quick fire round then, Murray. What advice would you give to a student teacher about to enter the working world or what advice do you think they should ignore? All right, about to enter the working world at this point in time. Uh, wear a mask, follow the signs, and sanitise <laughs> regularly. And if, you're, if you're in PE, make sure you've got a good waterproof, eh? Aye. <laughs> um, Aye. You could probably leave the iPad in the, in the <laughs> desk. Yeah. Don't take it outside. On a, on a more serious note, in trying in try, try to give them some advice, PE teachers, what I would say is don't stand still. And what I mean by that is, when you're teaching, don't stand still in the lesson and don't stand still in your teaching. Keep growing, keep developing. You know, that because you've been teaching for 10, 15 years doesn't mean you're an expert teacher. You'll have expertise, but you're not an expert teacher. Experts are people that keep pushing themselves and, you know, keep looking to get better and improve. So that's what I mean by don't stand still. Um, I think that's already on, on our Instagram page for the podcast. We always put three <laughs> kind of photos up and we always have a quote from the guest. So I think that's just, right, okay. um, that's, that's a one that we'll use for that. That's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> um, well, Murray, thanks uh, again for agreeing to do this with, with us today. We really appreciate your time and we kind of hope this helps the current teachers across the country and the, the next generation of teachers coming through. So yeah, thanks very much. Well, listen, Clark, Lewis, I really enjoyed it and it's a, a new experience for me. I've never been on a, a podcast before. So. Well, there no, you thanks go. Thanks for coming on. That was brilliant. Yeah. Um, no enjoyed the Scotland game as well. That's why we wanted you on an hour earlier. So thanks for, <laughs> thanks for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Love the honesty. <laughs>
Right, Mr. Burrow, another very insightful episode with Dr. Murray Craig there. What was your thoughts on that episode today? I thought there was a lot of great information in there regarding technology and PE. What's your key takeaway message? There's a lot of key takeaway messages when we asked the question about the social and emotional development of our young people. He spoke about how it's a responsibility of all. And I know as PE teachers, we always say that it's our job to do it, but it's very much a job of every every department and every faculty that they need to find ways and strategies to ensure that they bring it to life and they make sure that pupils have coping strategies or uh, provide that opportunity for that peer interaction that's that's uh, so important, especially with the lockdown now. You know, when they come to school, it's a great opportunity for for not only the teachers to mix and have a bit of banter and have a bit of fun and enjoy enjoy our learning and teaching, the, the pupils need to have that opportunity as well. But my actual takeaway message, sorry, Mr. Clellan, just to get back on track to the actual question, would be around the four, around the, the the answer that he gave in terms of when I said I was having some difficulties keeping my class engaged using digital technology. So when they're on the Chromebooks or when they're um, on their phones <coughs> accessing material from Google Classroom or doing a flipped learning task accessing a clip it's trying to make sure that from the minute they enter your class they're engaged in the task and they're knowing Snapchat for the first couple of minutes I think it's a great thing but they can become easily distracted when their phones are there so it's something I've been conscious of I've been given tasks in the class for them to use their phones but sometimes I've caught a lot of them not actually doing what they should be. So he said that to combat that, you need to establish boundaries, clear boundaries with them, and make sure that you explain that um, at the start of a lesson or at the start of when you start to use the, the technology. And then it's just about reminding them. If they drop below the standards, you need to remind them of the boundaries, maybe revisit them again every so often. And then hopefully that will then improve engagement on the task that you set them so that would be my key takeaway message would be about hammering the standards in consistently and as he said it will take time because mm. you're changing the culture it's not going to happen in one lesson is it well i think i could but no you you think so <laughs> i no, beg no i'll joke aside it does take right. time you know it's me it's got the problem here so i don't know why i said right. that but yeah, quite the joke on your old age. <laughs> yeah, so that would be my key takeaway message. And let's suppose we better find out <clears throat> what Mr. Cle- what Mr. Cleland's key takeaway message was from tonight's episode. Well, Mr. Burrow, my key takeaway message from tonight's episode with um, Murray would be in relation to the, the four P's process or framework that he mentioned. And it was pinpoint play around, pilot and put into practice. And this was in relation to the, the technology I think he was talking about and um, how we can get teachers to to use it and incorporate it into a kind of everyday part of their practice. So pinpointing what technology they want to actually try um, with their classes, then giving them the time to play around with it so that they're competent in using it, so that they feel confident going into their class and delivering it and actually teaching through it so it's not just using it for the sake of it then finding a class that they want to pilot that with um, and then make the necessary tweaks and adjustments to to get it right for them and then putting it into practice. So then trialing that out with all their, with all their classes and then hopefully that becomes like an integral part of their, their teaching. And I think it's also important what he said with you can share best practice and show how you do something, but I think he mentioned with his students, they're not going to... They're all going into different schools with different pupils in front of them. So giving them a framework to work from um, is probably more valuable as opposed to just giving them an idea of a, te- a piece of technology to use and how to use it. Giving them that framework, then they've got the kind of freedom to identify a bit of technology that they want to use or a teaching style or whatever, and then suit it to their their particular environment and their classes, classes needs. So I thought that was really, really interesting. And again, it doesn't need to just be used for technology. It can be used with uh, teaching models and teaching styles and other things that you want to incorporate into your, your teaching. So, yeah, like that. Well, I thought that's a wonderful key takeaway message, well said. And I think it's, it's about what you said there. It's like trying to make it, giving them the control to suit their context rather than just 
watching a best practice session and then try to copy it. Try to copy what someone's done. You're actually in the driving seat and you can then <clears throat> use the framework to suit you. Yeah, like it's one, it's not one size fits all again. Keep coming no. back to that. Doesn't always work for every context. So it's uh, trying to suit it to the class in front of you to get the best possible benefit from whatever it is you're trying to do, whether it be a bit of technology or a particular teaching model. No, yeah, you could use it with flipped learning, cooperative learning, or sport education that you've been using a lot with your SD games classes. Right, thanks everyone for listening into the podcast. At the end of the day, this podcast is for teachers and by teachers. We appreciate your time. Um, as always, if you see it on Instagram, at a wee bit of everything podcast, you'll see some photos on there of the guests and you might even come across us on Twitter at borough under slash mister or my fellow co-host, the brains behind operation, at Cleland Lewis 94 We would appreciate it if you could give us a share or a retweet or, even better, slide into your DMs if you have any questions about the podcast or you know anyone who could come on to the show. We really want to get the podcast out there as much as we can so others can listen to the podcast like yourself. Until next time, we all hope you have a brilliant week and take care of yourself during this pandemic.